Well, good morning, everyone. Hey, it is so good to be with all of you at all of our campuses this morning, and uh, we just want to say welcome, man. Today, as many of you already heard, we are wrapping up this series on grace, so um, if you're kind of like tired of us talking about it, uh, come back next week, and as you just saw uh, in the bumper, uh, we're going to be starting something new. But this series, um, we're just defining what grace is because so many of us are so unaware that we live in grace and we're experiencing grace every day of our life. In fact, this is how we're defining grace in this series. Grace is the unexpected, unearned, and undeserved favor of God. And what we've discovered over these past few weeks is that grace is so much more a part of our life than what most of us have even realized it being part of our life. In other words, um, week one of this series, we, we realize that every moment of our life, we are immersed in God's grace. When we looked at Genesis chapter one and chapter two, from the wonders of God's creation around us, through the wonders of God's creation in and through us, every bit of that is an expression of God's grace. Like grace is everywhere and grace is constant. And so week one, we stopped and said, okay, let's stop and begin to realize that God's grace is there constant in our life every day. And then week two, we talked about how that when we sin and we rebel against God, that God doesn't withdraw his grace as most of us think that he does, but instead he extends grace to us. In fact, the apostle Paul said, where sin abounds, so grace abounds even more. Like when God saw our sin and God saw our mess, it's like God didn't look away and he didn't walk away. Instead, God leaned in. He got personally involved by praying for our sin debt on the cross. And then last week we talked about how God shows his grace by protecting us from the dangers of sin, that his protection is an expression of his grace. So the reality is, no matter who you are, no matter how good you think you are or how bad you think you have been, like what you've done in your past or where you're, what you're presently doing, here's the thing that we're discovering throughout this series, and that is this. Grace is available for you. You just have to wake up and recognize it. And even the greater thing that we've learned is you just have to wake up and recognize it and then embrace it on God's terms. And we realize that God's terms... Part of that is it's just a gift that we receive. Now today what we want to do is we want to address like one of the most often questions when it comes to grace. Maybe it's a question that you've even wondered about during this sermon series. You just kind of said, ah, there's something about this grace thing I'm still not clear about. Maybe this is your question. In fact, let's put the question up here. Here's the question. Does grace have a limit? Does grace have a limit? Because the truth is, if you're like me, there are so many of us who have or maybe still are, we still struggle with this question. Because not only do we feel like that we've not lived up to God's standards, we feel like we've not even lived up to our own expectations, our own standards. And what that does for most of us, it leaves us like carrying around this weight of guilt and shame like for some of you, it's been like a short period of time that you just kind of lived in this season of guilt and shame. For others of you, you've been carrying around this guilt and shame for year after year, like from one stage of your life to the next stage of your life. Like some of you, you have been carrying around your guilt and your shame so long that it is destroying you. In fact, if you would stop and look 
real close to what is sabotaging your life, like the problems that you're facing financially, the problems that keep surfacing like in your career or in your education or the problems that keep popping up like in your relationship or in your marriage, the stuff that keeps happening over and over like with your kids, what you'll discover is often the problems are they're being driven, don't miss this, they're being driven by unresolved guilt and shame that you have been carrying with you, some of you for a couple years, maybe some of you for 10 years, 20 years, 30 years. Like Many of us are just sabotaging our lives because we're going around with all this baggage of guilt and shame. And then... When you sit there over the last few weeks and and you hear us talk about how that God's grace is freely given to you and how God wants to clean up what you've messed up and and you go, yeah, I hear that. That's just so hard to believe. Because in your mind, it's like, if you can't forgive yourself for that failed marriage, for that crazy time in college, for walking away from God, for doing what you did to your parents, for sleeping with that person's husband or wife or what you said to that person that hurt them so deeply. Like, if you can't forgive yourself, how can God do that? Like, for yourself, you're thinking, like, I just can't forgive myself for walking out on my family and abandoning my kids or for choosing to have that abortion or cheating my friend out of, those, out of that money and that business deal. Like, if I can't forgive myself, then how can God And and so you just carry with you, like, from moment to moment, from year to year, season to season, this guilt and this shame. So the big question that we want to answer this morning is this, and that is this, does grace have a limit? In other words, is, like, grace big enough to handle all my guilt and shame? Is grace big enough to cover all my sin, or does it have a limit? I think all of us probably at some point in our life, we, we've kind of thought like, there's got to be a point when God draws a line. Because there's got to be a point when like, I push too far and I go way too far past God's boundaries. There's got to be a point. I think, I think we've all felt that. Especially since there have been times in our own lives when we like, said, I don't know if I can forgive that person again, or I don't know if I can overlook that person's offense toward me again, or I don't know if I can give that person another chance. So if it's true for me that I struggle to give that person another chance or to forgive, then it must be true for God. And I think most of us in our minds, we're not really certain like where that limit is, but the truth is, I think most all of us feel like that God has a limit. I mean, we know that God says that he loves us and and that his love is unconditional. But how far does that go? How much does that cover? And so if I can't forgive me for doing that, then I can't imagine how God can forgive me for doing that. So does grace have a limit? Now, here's the thing that might surprise you. If your answer to that is yes, you'd be correct. There is a limit to grace, but it may not be where or what you think it is. Now, some of you are sitting there going, oh, no, no, I don't think there's a limit to grace. Stay with us. I 
think you'll see what we mean in just a moment. In fact, let me explain it this way by using a story of a man by the name of David. You know him as King David. In fact, if there was any person in the Bible that tested the limit of grace, it was King David. I mean, David, he reigned over Israel for like 40 years, and he had several great moments in his leadership. But if you go back and look at the beginning of David's leadership as king, it started from a very, very, very simple and a very small beginning. It was so small that when the prophet Samuel was going to anoint a king, the father of David gathered, Jesse gathered up all his sons, and he didn't even pull David in. He just left David out in the, in the pasture taking care of sheep. So what we begin to realize really quickly that David did nothing to deserve to be king. He, he was just known, even among his family, as this common shepherd boy. So it was the unexpected, undeserved, unearned grace of God that set off this chain of remarkable events where after a period of time, David becomes the king of Israel. Now here's the thing. After David becomes the king of Israel, he, he does some good things. And in other words, he comes up with this idea that he says, hey, you know what? The ark of God where the Ten Commandments were stored and a few other significant items. He says, they have been housed in this tent called this tabernacle. So David's over here thinking, he goes, you know, I'm living in this luxurious palace. You know, he's got, he's got this cedar and stone and all this stuff. And like God's ark, the thing that represents God's presence is sitting in a tent. And he goes, that's not right. So I just want to build like this nice temple for God as a symbol of God's presence. And God sends a word to David through the prophet Nathan that he's not supposed to do this. He says, no, I don't want you to do this. He says, but here's the thing. Your son will do this. And then God makes this amazing promise. And it's just an amazing promise that God makes just to David about the grace that he would show David throughout the rest of his life. He was saying, even though I'm saying no to you, I want you to understand my grace toward you. In fact, listen to what the prophet Nathan says about God's promise of grace to David. Here's what happens in 2 Samuel chapter 7. Now tell then my servant David, this is God talking through Nathan. He says, now tell then my servant David, this is what the Lord Almighty says. I took you from the pasture and from following the flock to be ruler over my people Israel, which is just kind of a kind way of God reminding David through the prophet Nathan. He says, remember, you didn't deserve to end up where you're at. You didn't deserve to end up to be king. You didn't deserve to have all this power and all this wealth and all this authority and all this influence. He's like, you really didn't do anything to earn it. Like, you have gone from the pasture to the palace, all because it was a gift of God's grace. And he says, not only that, he says, I have been with you wherever you've gone, and I have cut off all your enemies from before you. So literally, God is saying to David, and by the way, David, don't forget, while you've had all these victory in battle, he said, the reality is, I've protected you, and I've given you that victory all along the way. Another t t statement of God just saying, my grace, it's been with you, David. And then notice what he promises David next. He says, now, I will make your name great, like the names of the greatest men of the earth. And you know what? The reality is, we're kind of proof of that this morning, aren't we? Because we're still like talking about David even today. But there's even more. Notice this. 
the Lord declares to you that the Lord himself will establish a house for you. And he goes on, he says, when your days are over and you rest with your fathers, I will raise up your offspring to succeed you who will come from your own body and I will establish his kingdom, which is God's way of saying to David, David, I'm promising that you will have a son on your throne. Like Saul didn't, I know Jonathan was supposed to be, but you know, I took his throne away. He says, but I'm not gonna take it away from you, David. I'm gonna establish his kingdom and make sure, he's basically saying, and I'm gonna make sure that he experiences the same grace from me that you, David, have experienced from me. And then he says this in verse 13. He is the one who will build a house for my name, and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. But here's what he says. But my love will never be taken from him. Your house and your kingdom will endure forever before me. Your throne will be established forever. Now, that's just an extraordinary promise of grace from God, isn't it? Like, David, I'm going to take care of you, and I'm going to make sure that your son and your son's sons, I mean, like, I'm going to establish your kingdom forever. Because God is saying, listen, your kingdom, David, it's not just going to endure for a couple generations. It's going to endure forever. I'm just always going to show love and grace toward your family. Now, when a Jewish person read this, they really believed that this promise of a forever kingdom was about the promise of God sending the Messiah to be part of the house and the lineage of David. And they were right. They were absolutely right. In fact, if you go to the first book in the New Testament, the book of Matthew, it was written centuries later, and he wrote that book. In fact, when he started that book, he started with, the ge with a genealogy. And for many of you, when you read that genealogy, you go, well, this doesn't make any sense. But he wrote that book with the genealogy at the beginning so there would be proof to show that Jesus was part of David's family line, which established David's family line, his kingdom forever through Jesus Christ. So when you stop and you think about that, you go, wow, that's just amazing that God did all of this through you. So the story of David, it begins well. It's like full of grace upon grace upon grace. And the story of David, when you read the last part, it ends well. It's full of grace. But the real story of God's grace toward David, it happens in between. The real story of God's grace, it happens in the middle. In fact, this is the middle part of David's life is where his story gets really, really messy. Because after being in blessed with like all this incredible grace and goodness from God, David chooses, don't miss this, David chooses to rebel against God. In fact, here's how it happens. One day, like in the spring, when the Israelite armies would like go out to battle as they did every year, because that's when the armies would fight, they would gather and, and settle all their squabbles with each other. David, for some reason, we don't know why, but he stayed behind at the palace in Jerusalem. Most time, the kings would go out and make sure they were cheering their men on, you know, commanding their men, making sure their army was happening. But David stayed behind for this in this season. So one evening, he's out strolling around on the rooftop of his palace, and he spots this woman bathing. And he summons a servant over, he says, um, who's this lady over there bathing on top of her house? And the servant says, well, that's the daughter of your longtime friend Elam and the wife of your top lieutenant Uriah. 
by the way, he's out there leading the charge. He's also like your best friend, and he's making sure that we're being victorious in battle. Implication to David is, hey, you need to think twice about this king. You don't really want to go down this path. But David, he ignores this warning. He calls Bathsheba to the palace to sleep with him. And and here's the thing. We don't know if she had no choice. We don't know if she was scared into this or if she was just like content to go along with this. But here's what we do know. She spent the night in the palace And the next day, she goes back to her house, and David, in his mind, he's just like, this is just kind of a simple one-night stand, and nobody in the world's ever going to know. Like, there's not going to be really any consequences. Here's what happens. A few weeks later, David gets this message from Bathsheba with two words that he never wanted to hear. She says, I'm pregnant. And at this point, David has a decision to make. Do I confess my sin and ask for God's grace, or do I conceal it and try to manage the consequences? And here's what's sad. In spite of all God's grace to him over the beginning years of his life, David chose to hide it and go into damage control. To make a long story short, what ends up happening, he ends up lying, he ends up manipulating. He ends up having Bathsheba's husband, Uriah, which was one of his friends. He was one of his commanders in his army. He has him murdered in battle. He takes Bathsheba as his wife to cover his sin. And when you really look at that whole story of what David did, I mean, he basically broke all the Ten Commandments just like in like one, one act. That's just a lot of sin, right? Like some of you are pretty good at sinning, but to do all ten at one time, that's just like pretty amazing. But here's the reality. Sin always catches up with us because sin always has consequences. I mean, it's like God hates sin because of the consequences that we have to suffer because of sin. That's why God doesn't want us to sin, because I don't want you to experience those consequences. In fact, listen to the message that God sent through the prophet Nathan again to David. Here's what he says. This is what the Lord, the God of Israel says. I anointed you king over Israel, and I delivered you from the hand. So he's like, grace upon grace. It's like, I've given you so much, David, already. And then he goes on. I gave you your master's house to you and your master's wives into your arms. This is like, he said, I, I took Saul and his lineage out. I put you in. He says, I gave you the house of Israel and Judah. Literally like, David, I have been so generous with my grace toward you. I've just given you grace upon grace upon grace. It's like you didn't do really anything to deserve it. But I, I give it, I've given you all that you wanted. And then he says this, and this is such a powerful statement. And he says, and if all of this had been too little, I would have given you even more. So why did you despise the word of the Lord by doing what is evil in his eyes? Like, David, why did you do this? Like, why did you rebel against me after all of my goodness and all of my grace? It's like, why? And he's basically saying, now, David, here's what's going to happen. You're going to suffer the consequences of your own choices and your own decisions. And David did. 
Now, here's the thing. If that's all that David had done to rebel against God, maybe, maybe you could kind of excuse him or maybe you could understand that grace was still available to him. But this is just the beginning of multiple things that David did to rebel against God. David went on his life to commit all, a string of basically of shameful sins against God. I mean, some of these sins, they tore his family apart. Some of his sins divided the country. So, some of his sins resulted in the death of two of his sons. I mean, like his one son completely turned against him and, and tried to create a civil war, which he basically did in the country. I mean, some of the sins resulted in deaths of thousands of his people. I mean, like David was so far from being a faithful follower of Christ, from being a faithful follower of God, or from being faithful to God, so far from being innocent. And by the time David had finished, you got to think about it this way, he basically had failed as a father, he failed as a husband, he failed as a leader. Like if anybody should have been disqualified from experiencing God's promise, like if anybody would have like, should have been placed or went beyond the limits of God's grace, it really should have been David. But you know what, here's what's so incredible about David's story. Every time David sinned, don't miss this, every time David sinned, he came back to God with genuine humility. Every time he sinned, He came back to God with genuine humility. And guess what happened? God forgave David and gave him more grace. Like God didn't abandon him and God didn't rescind his promise to him. Actually what he did is he redeemed David's sin to fulfill his promise. I mean, think about it. Remember the the promise that God made to David that his son would follow him on the throne and, and he would build the temple? Well, guess who ended up being the son that followed him on the throne and built the temple? It was David and Bathsheba's second son, Solomon. Now, here's the thing. I mean, like, you could argue that Solomon should have never been born, that marriage should have never happened, but God just kept showing David grace upon grace. As a matter of fact, whenever David chose to humble himself and when David chose to repent literally what God did is God stepped in and he redeemed his sin to bring about his purpose in the world God's ultimate purpose in the world and here is what is so amazing about this whole story and this is where it starts getting really personal God still does the same thing today and God still wants to do the same thing in and through your life In fact, we pray that this truth that we're learning about David today, it is so liberating for some of you because some of you on some of our campuses, you feel like that you've just gone too far. Like you feel like you've done too badly for grace to still be available to you. But you know what God teaches us about his grace through David's story? Here's what he teaches us. There is no sin too great for grace. And you said, I thought there was a limit. Stay with me. See, but God tells us there is no sin too great for grace. See, some of you, you're you're thinking, God's just never going to use me. God's never going to forgive me. God could never redeem me because of what I did. Like, as, as far as you're concerned, like, when you cheated on her or, like, when you blew up your marriage or when you slept with them or when you got involved with that unethical business deal, like, when you had that abortion or when you used that or you drank that or you watched that or you said that or whenever you chose those choices that you chose, like, that was your last chance or you stepped across the line and you think God could never forgive you. 
But I'm telling you, while your story may be like David, and like you may have violated all Ten Commandments at the same time, just like David. Like you may have like this messy middle going on, or had it going on, and you've tried to clean up your past. Here's the thing you understand. God's grace is greater than all your sin. And you're going, I, I don't know if I believe that. Well, well, just think about this. Think about it this way. God chose David to be king, and then he made the promise to him, knowing exactly how David would fail. God first made his promise to David that I'm going to establish your kingdom forever. I'm going to use you in an amazing way. Then, it's like David failed. I mean, God knew all the mess that David's going to make of his life, but he didn't rescind his promise. And the reason he didn't rescind his promise and the reason he didn't remove his grace because his promise and his grace was not dependent on David to begin with. It was dependent on God's goodness. And here's the thing that we want you to understand this morning, and that is this. The same is true for you. God already knew how you, were going to dis- how you were going to sin. And he still, even before you sin, he sent his son to die on the cross for you to pay the price for every sin that you would ever commit in your life. See, God's grace, it isn't dependent on your goodness at all. It is simply dependent on his love and his grace for you. And some of you go, but you said there was a limit to God's grace. Oh, here's the limit. The limit is you've got to accept it on God's terms. And he says there's only one way to embrace grace in your life. In fact, listen to what James, who was the half-brother of Jesus, taught us about grace, about receiving God's abundant, unlimited, unmeasurable grace. Here's what he said. God opposes the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. See, if you want God's grace, you have to embrace it on his terms. And his terms are that you humble yourself. That you humble yourself enough to admit that you can't ever be good enough, that you can't ever be religious enough, that you can't ever go to church enough, that you can't ever serve enough, that you can't ever outlive your past and outdo your past on your own. You have to receive God's gift of forgiveness and grace. It's a gift. So is there a limit to God's grace? You bet there is. But the limit is not your sinful actions. The limit is your attitude. In fact, we'll go ahead and say it this way. The only limit to grace is your lack of humility. God resists the proud. But he gives grace to the humble. Now, some of you, Throughout this whole series, you've been desiring to experience God's grace. Throughout this whole message, some of you have thought, man, I want to experience God's grace. But for all your life, you've been too proud to reach out and take it. 
Like you wanted to prove to yourself and other people that you could get your life back on track and that you could patch everything up for yourself and, and you could pay off that sin debt and that guilt debt that you carry with you all the time. That you, you can make your life better and, and you could outlive your past and have people respect you based on what you did. And James says, no, 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 it's not possible. You can't do that. The only limit to grace is your lack of humility. And so today, as we close out this series, today we're saying today is the day that you need to lay down your pride and you need to lay down your self-sufficiency and you need to embrace God's grace completely in your life. Like you can't earn it, you can't perform it, like you can't get it by committing to be a better person, by doing more good or becoming religious and like showing up at church and then hoping to get grace if you stay there long enough. No, no, no. James says you're wasting your time if you do that because remember this, grace, is the unexpected, unearned, and undeserved favor of God. And it is given freely to all who choose to trust fully in Jesus Christ for their redemption. And what we've been saying throughout this whole series is, it's time for some of you to wake up and find the grace that has already found you. So would you like take all of your mess and all of your sin and all your guilt and all your shame and will you give it to God right now in exchange for his grace, for his forgiveness, for his unconditional love? And here's the thing, just like David, in the moment that you humble yourself and you do that, in that moment you will find redemption and you'll find peace and you'll find joy and you'll find forgiveness and you'll find hope and you'll find that you'll begin a brand new chapter of your life. Because remember, the only limit to grace is an attitude, not an action. It's your lack of humility. So, so here's what we're gonna challenge you to do today at the end. Is we're gonna, in just a moment, I'm gonna pray for you. I'm gonna ask everybody on every campus to bow your heads when I pray, because we don't want any distractions. Because there are many of you who've never embraced God's grace Never chosen to have a relationship with him. Like, like you've never stopped trying to earn God's favor. Like you've never said, I'm going to accept this gift of a right standing with God that comes from God through Jesus Christ by faith because of his grace. And today's a day that you need to start following Jesus and give him all your guilt and all your shame. There's a, there's a group of you who need to do that today. Others of you who call yourselves Christ followers, but you're not living in his grace. Like, like you're living in rebellion. You're not running toward God right now. You're like Adam and Eve. You're, you're hiding from God because you have shame and you have guilt in your life because of some sin that you've committed. And, and you're a Christ follower, but you, you've not forgiven yourself and you've sure not received God's forgiveness. And today it's time for you to say, God, I'm gonna humble myself before you and receive your grace. So whether you're coming to God for the first time or maybe you're coming back to him because you want his peace, you want that joy, you want that oneness again, folks, that only happens through humility. It only happens through humility. So in just a moment, what's gonna happen is I'm gonna pray for you and as I pray for you, and I want you to ask God just for his grace and for his forgiveness, but but there's something that I'm gonna ask you to do, something that most of you are not gonna to wanna to do, and that's this. After I pray, the band's gonna come out on every one of our campuses, and they're gonna lead us in that song again, Trust It All.
And if during this prayer, you wanna say, God, God, I'm gonna humble myself today. I'm humbling myself. I wanna embrace your grace. What we're gonna ask you to do is after that prayer, as the band is leading that song, no matter what campus you're on, where you're at, we want you to stand up during that song as your way of saying, God, I am humbling myself. I want the full measure. I want the full experience of your grace. Now, some of you are sitting there just like this right now, and you're getting all nervous, and you get all poundy in your heart and all that kind of thing. That's the Holy Spirit. That's not me talking. That's the Holy Spirit saying, you need to do this, and you're going, oh, there's no way I'm going to do that. Somebody might see me. Somebody might think something about me. I don't want to admit this in public. That's just a pride, a sign that you still have pride. And I'm telling you, folks, pride will always block you from experiencing God's grace and forgiveness in your life. It's the only thing that will block you from experiencing God's grace and forgiveness in your life. This is your moment. This is your moment to get rid of pride. And if you don't get rid of your pride, you'll never be free. In fact, I'll never forget, I'll never forget when I was at a, Promise Keepers um, event. And I'd been a Christ follower for years. I was in Houston. I was broken. I was so broken. I went out by myself. <clears throat> and I heard basically the message I'm sharing with you today. And I'm telling you folks, there was that moment when I had to stand and say, God, at this point, I have nothing to lose. I have nothing to prove. I have nothing to hide anymore. I am a broken man before you, and I'm a broken man before other people, and it's okay because I want your grace. And there's some of you that the Holy Spirit of God is saying that same thing to you today. This is your day. This is your moment to experience my grace. So after the band comes, after I pray and the band comes out, man, we just want you during that song to stand as a physical expression of the fact that you are laying down your pride and you're coming to God humble. You're saying to God, God, I got nothing to lose anymore. I got nothing to prove anymore. I've got nothing to hide anymore. God, it's about living in and experiencing God's grace from this day forward. Listen, it's your moment for grace. And grace is the power of God to change your life. God wants to free you from guilt and shame. And he wants to tell you, listen, my grace is totally unlimited. It'll, it's, it's big enough to cover every sin that you've ever committed, any action that you've ever done. But you gotta humble yourself. You gotta humble yourself. It's time to get rid of that guilt and shame, folks. So let me pray for you. And then you respond during the song. Wow, God, um, there are so many of us who've lived carrying guilt and shame, and, and we've like sabotaged our lives because we've been too proud 
to just humble ourselves before you and others and say, I'm broken. I'm just a broken person. I'm like David. I'm so broken. And God, I just pray that by the power of your Holy Spirit right now, that you'll give men and women and students the courage to stand during the song. To say, God, I got nothing to lose. I've got nothing to prove. I've got nothing to hide anymore. I want to live in the power and the presence of your grace from this day forward. God, I, I thank you. I thank you that when we humble ourselves, God, the power, the power of your presence, the power of your grace, it gives us a new level of courage. God, we experience forgiveness and we experience peace and we begin to experience joy and happiness in ways that we never imagined. So God, as we sing these next few songs, or this next song, I pray that you'll free men and women and students from guilt and shame that they've carried way too long, not because of any of their actions, but because of one attitude, the attitude of pride. Free us now, we pray, as we humble ourselves before you. In Jesus' name, amen.